Are we broadcasting? Woo! All right. I just want to make sure Jeff can hear me. Can you? I hear you. Okay, awesome. All right, so we're rolling. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is Christian Thinking. Is that a, how's that, Nathan? Is that a good name? Is that okay? That's going to be the name for now, everyone. Um, we're going to see how that works out. It's subject to change, I suppose, but um, I like that name. We like, we're Christians here, but we also, you know, and we also like to think. So uh, I have Jeff Bogazic on the show today, and I'm going to introduce him in just a little bit. But I, I, I'd like to, I've, I've had some thoughts uh, within the past couple weeks uh, that I want to express to everyone, all three of you. No, just kidding. There's probably a little bit more than that, hopefully. Um, I have a lot on my mind, and I'd like to express that, so I have a little monologue I'd like to read for you. It's an essay I wrote. And uh, I'd love your feedback on it. You can send me over over a messenger on Instagram or something like that. And then after I'm done with that, I'm going to introduce Jeff. He's an amazing person. I met him through uh, Journey Church in Kenosha, and he he was on the prayer team there, and he prayed for me and my friend. And uh, he's pretty cool, and I can tell he's very knowledgeable. So and he so graciously agreed to come on the podcast. So, all right. So I'm going to read you guys my essay, and then we'll we'll get started. All right. Good, Nathan. All right, today on the Good Old Podcast, I'd like to talk about some of the issues that have been on my mind for the past few weeks, the first of which being the crisis of meaning in, this, in the United States. America as we know it today is the richest and most secure country this world has ever seen. Though we are so wealthy, it seems that many people are incredibly discontent. They're not happy, not joyful, and not spreading joy. It seems so common nowadays to assume that momentary pleasures will bring us long-term happiness. Instant gratification and convenience are two of the most enticing things in this country, Yet those things alone do not bring long-term happiness or what I would call joy. Why are the richest and most famous people killing themselves and singing about loneliness? The cliche, money doesn't buy happiness, couldn't ring more true when observing this country. If money bought happiness, wouldn't Robin Williams, Kurt Cobain, Kate Spade, or Amy Winehouse still be alive? We seem to have a severe mental illness problem in this country. Chemical imbalances in the brain that make you prone to depression and anxiety can be so severely taxing. So severely taxing that it zaps your energy and presents a huge weight on your back. Couple this with the crisis of meaning this country is facing and the abandonment of God, and that's when this door to suicide is opened. I remember hearing a quote a long time ago, and if anyone can tell me the name of this guy, I'd appreciate that because his name escapes me and I can't find the quote online. Um, The quote went something like this. I am absolutely certain that there is no God, no absolute meaning in life, no rhyme or reason for any of this. The only thing I I am not certain of and I haven't been able to figure out, is why I haven't killed myself yet. This seems very extreme, but it made, me, it made sense to me, and it depressed me at the same time. Life is full of suffering, so much so that the Buddhists would say that life is suffering. Not having a relationship with God can produce a life without any fundamental meaning, and this means no source of absolute worth to help you contend with the suffering of life. Without God, from what I've seen, and again, I'm just a 21-year-old kid, but from what I've seen, When people cease to believe in God, they seem to start to allow other things to become their idols, such as money, power, social influence, sex, drugs, and of course, the worst of all, rock and roll. This inclination to idolize material things is not exclusive to non-believers. Believers Believers can can be just as prone to falling into that sort of sin. This idolization of worldly things can lead us astray completely before we even know it. To try to fill a God-shaped hole in your heart with temporary worldly things is like trying to fill a cracked cup with water. You will be in constant pursuit of fulfillment and meaning if you attempt to get your meaning and fulfillment from temporary things. This may be why Jim Carrey has the famous quote saying, I hope everyone succeeds beyond their wildest dreams and gets everything they've ever wanted. 
because that because they will then realize that that is not the answer. Or what about the C.S. Lewis quote saying to never let your happiness depend on what can be taken from you? A relationship with God, and I mean a real relationship with God, not the only on Sundays type of relationship, not the type of relationship where it's just a limited part of who you are. I mean the type of relationship where you are completely identified with Jesus, where you are associated first with Christ. This, the relationship where you deny your selfish flesh desires for the pursuit of a deeper relationship with God. This type of relationship with Jesus can bring contentment and joy even amidst the most tragic and chaotic circumstances. Take Job, for example, a man who lost everything. His entire, his entire life's work, all ten of his children died in a natural disaster. He lost his health through contracting a serious health condition. His wife told him to curse God and die. And to add insult to injury, his friends told him that the reason he was experiencing this tribulation was because of his lack of obedience to God, which wasn't the case. Through this experience, Job certainly expressed his frustration to God, but his faith never ceased, and his faithfulness to God remained throughout the entire experience. Uh, a good quote from Job here, in the book of Job, he's talking to God here. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. As long as my breath is in me, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Job remained in his faith with God. He was able to stay steadfast in his faith even while enduring some of the worst pain imaginable. Or what about Paul? A man who was in a prison cell who later got his head chopped off was calm enough and joyful enough to write letters that contained sentences like this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And it's not like Paul was sitting in a convertible Corvette with a couple of babes on either side of him. Paul had the complete contentment while awaiting his brutal death. I suppose the question is, why do people decide not to believe in God? Is it because of a supposed lack of evidence? Are the teachings of the Bible not for you? Would you rather live your life the way you want to? Would you like to be the God of your own world? Do you feel like you don't need God? And as for Christians, what can we do to keep our relationship strong with God and live a fruitful life even when it does not feel good? How do we stay steadfast in our faith when tragedy and the temptation for sin and apathy arises? And what does it mean to be successful? And these are some of the things I'd like to discuss here with Jeff today. And I have Jeff on the line, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit of who he is. I told you in the beginning how I got to know him. It was from him being a prayer leader or part of the prayer team at Journey Church, a wonderful church. So here's his, here's his bio here. It's very interesting. Dr. Jeff Bogazic is the founder and CEO of Mind for Life, an organization dedicated to leadership and personal development for professionals. Dr. Bogazic's podcast, the Mind for Life podcast, serves to provide an educational resource for, prof for professionals who seek to better themselves and pursue excellence. He has interviewed leading experts and executives of, on leadership and success, including Chris Brogan, Lolly Daskal, Cynthia Johnson, and many others, and was designed, was, sorry, was designated a top writer on Medium for his articles on personal development, leadership, and self-improvement. He has been published both academically and commercially, and recently, Business Insider published one of his articles on the power of continual learning. He holds a PhD in rhetoric with concentrations in organizational communication, interpersonal communication, and the rhetoric of technology, and has been speaking professionally for over 25 years. Some of his areas of expertise are human communication in a digital world, the psychology of influence and communication, the real meaning of success, the power of personalizing and conflict resolution, interpersonal communication dynamics in the workplace, persuasion in the digital space, how to influence your customers in digital marketing, digital 
mediation, and human relationships. How electronic technologies alter our interpersonal relationships. That was all one right there. Digital media mediation and human relationships. How electronic technologies alter our interpersonal relationships. Dr. Jeff Bogazic currently serves as the head of, the sc of school for Christian Life School in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He completed his undergraduate degree in North at North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and later received a Master of Arts in Leadership and Liberal Studies and then a PhD in Rhetoric, both from, oh boy, Jeff, you're going to help me. Uh, du That's Duquesne University. Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His areas of concentration are in interpersonal and organizational communication and the rhetoric of technology. For the past eight years, he has served in educational leadership, and he currently is the book review editor for the academic journal, Explorations in Media Ecology. As a hobby, he hosts a podcast and a blog, Mind for Life, where he discusses personal development, business, and entrepreneurship and psychology. So a lot of expertise here with Jeff. And I, I just appreciate you for coming on the show, Jeff. This is, it means a lot to me. So thanks for coming on. It's a great pleasure to be on with you, Vinny. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so this is my second podcast, and I, I just have so much I want to talk about. So hopefully I don't get too overpassionate or overzealous here. But um, No problem. So, so Jeff, um, like I said, I met you at church, and you, you obviously you have a specialty in, in advising people on success. You, you know a lot about success, what it means to be successful, and you're a reasonable person. Um, so it, but you also have a, a strong faith in, in Jesus, and I can tell through your prayers and, and through the way you live that you have a strong faith in, in God. And I'm just curious, what was the what initially brought you to Jesus? What, what was your upbringing like, like and what was your uh, um, coming to Jesus like? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. uh, my family was very strong uh, Catholic, very dedicated Catholics. And I went through all of the training as far as that goes. I was in... Um, CCD class and got confirmed as a Catholic, but probably around um, 13, 14 years old, um, you know, my my perceptions about what was going on in the Catholic Church started to, you know, I started to have questions. Um, I saw a mm -hmm. lot of what I considered, you know, conflicts. People mm -hmm. were saying things and living a different way, yep. and there was this religious ideology and mm -hmm. a way that you were supposed to live as a good Catholic, and mm -hmm. most of the people weren't doing that. They weren't even trying to do that, at least from my experience. And so I kind of got disillusioned with Catholicism. Uh, it seemed to be just a lot about religious do's and don'ts and a lot of duty. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was looking for something that was more experiential, you know, mm -hmm. that if God was real— could we experience him in our in our daily life rather than just going through these motions on a Sunday or yes. you know saying your prayers and going to confession and all of this? So um, my, about that time, my mom was invited to a church. Um, it was uh, a charismatic type of a church, and um, when I went there, I just met kids that were my age that mm -hmm. were just really passionate about God and. We're seeking him out, and, you know, the experiential aspect of that was just, you know, I guess you could say invigorating to mm -hmm. me. It was something that I just was like, wow, this is completely different. And yes. it was in that context that I really had an experience with God. Um, I really made my faith personal. Mm -hmm. uh, it was no longer just some type of a 
you know, a, a tradition that my family did, but it was more, it became more important to me. It became personal to me. I had an mm-hmm. encounter with God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, that was basically the impetus. That was a, oh. that was a change that made a difference in my life. And from yeah. then on, you know, my life kind of took a different tack, you know, it just took a different turn. And I started thinking about less about what I wanted to do and more about, well, what does God have for me? Mm-hmm. You know, what is God's purpose in my life? What, yep. where, how can I follow Him? How can I serve Him and uh, and and do that? So that that was a big a big deal for me. You know, when it when it came to my faith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's an incredible story. Um, so that's and that's that's very so I, I like so I know this guy named John Lennox. I don't know if you know who John mm-hmm. Lennox is. Doctor Doctor Lennox. He's a mathematician. He 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 says he he first he believes in God because the evidence points towards you know the the physical evidence you know the the historical evidence of Jesus the uh, miraculousness mm-hmm. of the Bible and all these things that point towards the Christian God, uh, but he he through getting to know God more and more like like you said you did um, he started to become certain that God existed through his own experiences with God and it's, in a way it's, it wasn't anything he did it was God gave him the confidence just through us getting to know. Him, but just through him getting to know God, God right. gave him the confidence, and I, I think that that just that ignites a passion in my heart, at least, to serve Him. And it's not not in the way that maybe a Catholic would would say, but more just out of not because I have to do it to get the salvation, but more because I I already have the salvation, and I'm so grateful for it because I don't I don't really I don't deserve it. So I'm I'm so passionate about it, and I'm willing to act a certain way out of gratitude, not out of coercion. Uh, for just out of gratitude for and, and my love for Jesus and what He did. Um, yeah, it's it's a different motivation, right? Um, and I think you know one of the things that was very interesting to me about your monologue and the quote by the individual who said, "I'm absolutely certain that mm-hmm. God doesn't exist." Mm-hmm. Um, I think people can be persuaded that. I mean, obviously, that's a very right. That's a that's a, a an incredible statement, right? right exactly. <laughs> you know, to say yeah. that you're absolutely, absolutely certain, certain beyond yeah. a shadow of a doubt, like you know everything right. in the entire universe, you can mm-hmm. be completely sure that God does not exist, and that any knowledge of God um, that might be outside of your purview, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's, uh, that's a that's a powerful statement, and I don't think anybody can ever be convinced of that. At the same right. time. I agree with uh, the doctor that you mentioned that there's right. a lot of evidence that points towards. God and the, that points towards the Christian God, and there's you know a lot of things that I think can be convincing. Right. Um, but there's no definitive proof. Right. And I think that God has designed the universe in such a way that there never will be. Mm. Um, one of the philosophers that I really enjoy reading is Soren Kierkegaard, and mm-hmm. you know Kierkegaard was a Christian uh, existentialist and. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he talks about is at some point there comes a leap of faith mm-hmm. where you have to make a decision. You have to make a right. choice. And the scriptures plainly teach that. In, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it's by faith that we're saved. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have to make a choice to believe. And you have to take that, if you want to use Kierkegaard's terms, that existential jump, that, that leap of faith and say, I am going to put my faith in this worldview or in this philosophy, and I'm right. going to I'm going to accept that. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence, of course, that yep. can support that. There's no definitive proof, but 
that's what God asks of us to do. You know, right. faith is, it says in Hebrews, the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of something that we don't see. So you can't see it. It's mm-hmm. something that we hope for, but you you make a choice. And right. You put your, you make a decision. And so I think that's an important step that everyone has to take uh, one way or the other. Um, and if you're going to become a Christian, you know, some people can be persuaded. Some people can say, I know absolutely certain. I, I don't think that that's possible. I think that mm-hmm. we have to believe, mm-hmm. but we believe it through faith. So right. it was interesting to hear your monologue on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is that is interesting because I, 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 I thought about this a while back because I, I always – I struggle personally with doubt in, in God just be, you know simply because it's we don't get the proof of God in the way that uh, – you get proof under a, a microscope, you know. You, sure. you, don't, you don't get proof, and that's that's actually what Father Malone said last last my last guess. Um, but it, you, you do get a sort of a proof in in the historical way, but you, you don't see it. So it, you, there's always going to be open uh, room for doubt. And uh, but I thought about it more, and I was like, well, think about if I was actually there when Jesus died on the cross. If I was there, if I saw it happen, and he and I saw him walking around three days later, I I would probably even still find a way. To doubt that, I would probably still find a way. Maybe he wasn't actually dead. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe I was hallucinating, or something like that. There, there's always going to be some room for doubt. So you're right. It does. It. It. It's always important to, you know, it's an evidence-based faith. So that, that it's, it's not a blind faith, but it's an evidence-based faith. But it is a faith. You have to. You have to. Ha- you have to have some faith. And and I think that um, through getting to know God more, uh, he kind of gives you that faith. You know, through. Uh, Trusting him and, and seeing what he does and seeing the yeah, miraculousness of the I agree with word. you. I, I don't think Christianity is the absence of doubt. Right. Um, you know, doubt is always going to be there, mm-hmm. um, and and you're always going to have to. I think you always will struggle with that. And you know, there's a book that I would recommend for you. Um, it, it's a book by um, I would say a very highly respected, at least from my perspective pastor and theologian, um, Dr. Greg Boyd, Gregory Boyd, and it's called um, Benefit of the Doubt, and it talks about getting beyond the idol of certainty, and I think that's a challenge for people, and quite quite honestly, a lot of reasons why people will lose their faith Mm. is because they grow up hearing a narrative and hearing things about the faith that make, you know, give them a false false certainty right and when they encounter some very powerful arguments or when they counter things uh in in colleges and universities that no one told them growing up and it starts to cast doubt then they they lose faith right and the power of our of christianity is not that it is completely 100 percent certain like I said, there's a lot of great evidence to believe if mm. you want to believe that Christianity is is true, that Jesus lived and died and rose again from the dead, a lot of historical evidence there. Um, but there's always going to be doubt, and mm-hmm. I think that's the nature of your relationship with God is that right. you have a faith that allows you to recognize that you're not going to see everything in complete clarity. You know, mm-hmm. and even the Apostle Paul says, hey, we, we see things now darkly, like through a, a, a dark glass, oh, and dude. we don't see everything certain to, with it with complete 100% certainty. Yeah. And again, the question might be, what does it take to have 100% right. certainty? 
you know, when you want to talk about like getting back to what can we really know, mm-hmm. uh, the you know the idea of epistemology, what mm-hmm. what can be known for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a philosophical question that's been debated down right. through the centuries, and and even recently, you know, some uh, uh, high level astrophysicists have said, you know, I think we're living in some type of a simulation. simulation you know, yeah. there was just right. a big conference on that, and a bunch of people that you would say is really smart said, we're not really living in yeah. a real world; we're living in some type of simulation, and we're right. you know, kind of like the Matrix. And so, those are questions that philosophers have dealt with, and you know, right. so what can we know for certain? Um, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Right. Right. Um, I think it was, I'm no, no philosopher, but I think it was Descartes that said, you can't really know anything other than the fact that you exist because you're thinking. Right. I I think therefore I am. That's, that's like, that's all you can really know. And I don't know, I don't know much about him, but I don't know. And I don't know if you know much about him, but I think he also said that you can be certain that God exists. I don't know. Um, yeah, um, Descartes, you know, um, was the you know cogito ergo sum I think therefore I am and he was he started from the premise how do I know if what I'm sensing my physical senses in the world are real or if I'm Mm -hmm. not being deceived by some kind of a demon right that is that is you know when you talk about your brain and how your brain operates Mm -hmm. that your sensations you know what you see what you hear what you taste what you touch what you feel are basically your brain processing some type of electric electrical stimuli from mm-hmm. from your sensory organs and so could some uh diabolical being hijack those sensory organs and cause you to see and think and right. experience things that aren't really true and so that, that's what he started with i don't even know that i exist right. except by the fact that i can think about My, yeah. whether or not i exist right and so by nature the fact that i can think about that that I have some type of conscious awareness of my thinking about that very thing, I must then accept that I exist. Mm-hmm. And then again, later on, you know, the, the, his philosophy was questioned, mm-hmm. um, and you know, different people came up with different different theories on that. So, but right. it's a great question, and it, it still is something that people have to deal with today. And I think right. that you know, kind of goes to the heart of our faith because we basically walk through the world believing that we exist and mm-hmm. that we're acting in the world and we're doing things mm-hmm. when we don't necessarily know that with 100 percent certainty right and even an atheist would 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 usually act in a a moral way even though they, they really don't know what morality what that absolute moral compass is what you know but they they still act accordingly to it so that's that's all very interesting yeah. um did you have anything no, I agree, I agree with that. I mean, most people will say we have a, we have a responsibility to other human beings to not hurt somebody. You know that there is some type of moral authority in the universe. Right. The question is, from where does that come? And if you are going to be a believer in the evolutionary theory, the, uh, the survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. and those things. You know, and, and granted, there's arguments for why morality can come out of uh, an evolutionary Evol- discipline. Yeah, or right. But why do you, you know, why would you, how could you criticize a Hitler? Right. Um, you know, to say that he was wrong and you're right. From where do right. you get that? From where do you have authority to say, you know, some type of a genocide is a wrong thing? Or right. where, you know. Uh, and we would all say that's incredibly evil, that's incredibly mm-hmm. bad, and that's something that we would never, 
you know, be able to defend, but it doesn't, it's inconsistent with, you know, some type of a subjective morality that we don't know where that comes from. So some moral theory and where you come up with, you know, the authority for morality is challenging if you don't have something outside of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be some type of standard outside of us and our experience that gives authority and gives way to why something is good or bad or right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you are an atheist, there is nothing outside of the universe. There is no standard. There is no authority. Right. And so then you have to then kind of find ways to make, you know, make judgment calls and value, value judgments on that. Yeah, yeah. What's up, Nathan? Are we at the top of the hour? So like a five-second break, right? Okay, we just have to take a five-second break to, to let everyone know what station this is, and we'll be right back, just real quick. Broadcasting from the campus of the University of Wisconsin Parkside, this is 101.5 WIPZ LP, Kenosha, Racine, and Sturdivant, as well as online worldwide at WIPZ.org. All right, you still there, Jeff? Yeah, I'm still here. Cool. Good. Um, yeah, I have a lot to add to, or not to add, but um, yeah, I... So I hear that the evolutionary argument for morality, you know, if one of it is, you know, you don't kill other people because that would be devastating to your own society or whatever, your own your own continuity. I, I don't know, something like that. But I but I think that the same person who would, who would say that uh, would also say that, um, you know, if a man cheats on his wife and she never hears about it, is he is he still wrong? I think you would you would still say, yes, he was wrong. So nobody was hurt. But he still did something wrong. So who's, who's saying that that's wrong? Why do you have the right to say that even something like that is wrong? It didn't hurt anyone. It's not devastating to his own continuity. And it, it's still wrong because he cheated on his wife and he wasn't being faithful, you know, stuff like that. But. Yeah, it's funny because people will speak in, gen, in the general, but when it comes to the particular, their the tune changes. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, um, you know, there's... I'm not. I don't remember who, um, which philosopher spoke about this universal understanding of fairness. Mm. Um, we all know when something is unfair, <laughs> right. you know, especially when it's unfair to us. But there's mm-hmm. some, in, you know, inherent right in being a human being, and when that right is um, devalued mm-hmm. or when a person is dehumanized, we feel that. And 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 to say it, oh, it's not that bad when we speak in the general about everyone else or in the general sense is one thing, but when it happens to us individually, it's not the same. And so to mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, it's okay if someone is to jump in line and get ahead of someone else. Hmm. But when we're the one in mm-hmm. line and then someone jumps in front of us, we say that's unfair. True. Right. Yeah. Um, and so people li- like to talk and theorize in the general you know, in the general sense, but mm-hmm. they don't take into account the particular. And when the particular involves us, it's a whole different story. We right. all know when we're not treated fairly. Mm-hmm. We all know when someone hurts us or someone dehumanizes us, um, but yet we can excuse that when it's in the right. general sense. And so I think that's something that that's important to focus on is to, rather than look in the general to look in the particular. And mm-hmm. you see this wow. uh, quite often when people will get up and there's activists and uh, protesters about 
great causes, mm -hmm. but they don't take those things to heart when it comes to them. Right. And so somehow we're able to protest something in the general sense, um, but we're not able to deal with it and take the responsibility for it in the particular. Right. And I'll give you two examples, uh, one from each side of the aisle, just to be fair. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will protest um, a global climate change, and I'm not here to argue whether that's a true thing or mm -hmm. not, but they will protest and say, in the general sense, we need to add taxes and mm -hmm. we need to add laws and we need to do everything that we need to. But no, when it comes to you recycling and you having to distribute your garbage or you not being able to drive your car somewhere, um, it doesn't seem to apply right. and no one wants to, right. you know, stand up and, and take those regulations. I'd rather just pay off my carbon footprint, right? right? I have the money to pay off my carbon per footprint, right. so I can take a, a jumbo jet across the right. country that's and exactly just pay right. the carbon tax. Yeah, just, On the other side, a lot of people will get up and protest um, against abortion and say, you know, it's not right. Abortion's not right. It's taking the life of the innocent. Mm -hmm. But very rare few will say, look, I'm going to go help that woman and right. support right. her financially and take her into my house and, yep. and help to raise that child you know, no one wants to go out of their way and be inconvenienced by really what it takes to care for another individual who mm -hmm. is going through a tough time when they're having a single right. single parent pregnancy. So we we like to talk and we like to be advocates and we like to protest in the general, but when it comes to putting the burden and responsibility on ourselves in the particular, and really if you want to say putting our money where our mouth is, we have a different story. Right. That's that's super true right there. That was I've always been amused by not amused by it actually it's a terrible thing, but yeah, the fact that politicians and billionaires will say that you know, talk about Yeah, I mean you you know, I mean it's I'll take a look take a look at Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. who will get up there and say, you know, we need to tax the rich when this dude's making millions <laughs> of dollars. So it's okay right. in the general sense, Woo. right? But in the particular sense it doesn't fit because why don't we take away your three mansions, Bernie? Why right. don't you donate those? And he's not doing it, you right. know. Exactly. Because it's easy to say that in the general sense, but when it comes to us individually, that's this idea of this universal kind of law of fairness. We understand that at very deep levels, you know, very human mm -hmm. levels when it's not fair for us. Mm -hmm. And so where does that come from? I'm talking about the law of fairness. Right. right. How, how is that? Is that just cultural because that's universal right. that goes cross cultures mm -hmm. people experience that across cultures that something's not fair mm -hmm. for them when something someone else gets something and they don't it's not fair we understand that so how is that and right. and i think you know if you're an atheist you have to go back and you know try to explain that as something in our genetics or mm -hmm. something that's you sort know inherent or something that's instinctual right um and then the question is well where does that come from mm -hmm. how did that get there right you know is that something that was survival of the fittest that you know it's not fair when one wolf doesn't get the mm. the milk of the mom and another one does and, and all of a sudden from then on it gets translated down you know so mm -hmm. to try to trace the origins of some type of a perception or a morality you know, that's a challenge, I think, for, for, for scientists to be able to do that. We, and we can't do that. We can theorize, again, mm -hmm. 
But nobody knows, right? Nobody right. knows for sure. We can make theories. Mm-hmm. But again, nobody knows. Mm-hmm. How, how, have, how have you you personally remained steadfast in your relationship with God and, and even, you know, because life for everybody can be tragic and it can be, there can be suffering. How, how have you remained uh, strong in your relationship with God? How have you still been able to overcome the uh, kind of inconvenience of, of being a Christian sometimes and, and staying disciplined? How, how have you been able to do that? Is there um, any, any recommendations for people that are going through uh, dark time as a Christian and they're having trouble believing, they're having trouble abiding by uh, their, their faith? Um, how have you been able to, to live with that and handle that? That's a good question. You know, I think um, everybody experiences doubt. Again, mm-hmm. everybody experiences tragedy. Um, one of the ver- one of the one of the big problems for people of faith is the problem of evil mm-hmm. and the problem of suffering, and the the idea that if God is so good, why do people suffer? Why mm-hmm. does He not prevent evil? And we're not talking about you know. We're not talking about oh you know I, I I got a I got a parking ticket. Right. We're talking about evil and it and when you have to look in the face of evil, you mm-hmm. need to look in the face of evil in its most despicable form. Right. You know why are people allowed to go out and commit genocide or why why does why doesn't God stop? Surely, a tsunami. If there's anyone who has control mm-hmm. of a tsunami. You know, God does, but yet tsunamis happen, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people die. And why wouldn't God? Why wouldn't God stop that? I mean, if He's so good, why? He's the one who's the only one who's got the power over the universe and the power over the wind and the waves. And surely He could have prevented that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are questions that I think are very difficult and very challenging. Um, one of the things that has helped me is. Again, this comes out of the work of Greg Boyd, and it's this—it's called the warfare worldview, and it's a view of Christianity, a worldview of Christianity that recognizes that at this point in our existence, that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle, mm-hmm. and that there are forces of evil, spiritual forces of evil that are out there, and there are spiritual forces of good, and mm-hmm. those 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 forces are contending with one another and that God as an all powerful being has allowed humans free choice Mm -hmm. and not only human beings, but other spiritual beings free choice. Mm -hmm. And so that free choice demands um, evil, Mm -hmm. right? If someone has a free choice, they have a free choice to walk down the street and murder someone if they want to. Mm -hmm. And we want to, you know, sometimes we will blame that and say, well, God had a purpose in that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that may be true, but a lot of times it's just because someone chose to do something evil because they've been influenced by evil. And I think Christianity is the, is the one worldview that, that gives some sense to that, Mm -hmm. um, that, there is this time that we're going through. And again, Christianity has a hope that beyond this time that there will come a time when that won't be the case and that when good will triumph over evil. And those things, I think, are things that we all yearn for. Um, I remember C.S. Lewis talking about 
you know, this idea that if I live in a world where I experience hunger and desire for food, then I must conclude that I was made to eat. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> right? And then he says, if I live in a world where I hunger and desire for paradise and for good mm. to triumph over evil, and I don't see that here, mm-hmm. then I must come to the conclusion that I was made for another place where right. that will happen. You know, that those desires, and some people will say those are cultural desires, but I think, mm-hmm. again, those those type of desires are, are cross-cultural, and right. people right. hope for paradise and hope for good to win out and hope for good to triumph over evil. Mm-hmm. And so that, those things that are at the foundation of Christianity have helped me to you know, to, to walk through difficulties and challenges and suffering, mm-hmm. um, to know that I, I don't believe I was made for this place and that for whatever reason we're here at this point walking through this and that God has not abandoned us in this, but that he's walking through those things with us. And I would also say that I think the cross shows that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In Christianity, our God doesn't just isn't just victorious, doesn't just slay the enemies and mm-hmm. reign as king forever. He goes through the most horrific suffering imaginable. Mm-hmm. He goes to the cross, mm-hmm. and he dies on the cross, and he experiences incredible pain, incredible torture, incredible torment. Mm-hmm. And so to say that Christianity is a crutch or an escape right. from suffering is inaccurate because mm-hmm. Jesus himself went through the most. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he said, I step into this. Right. I step into this world and I go through this suffering. And, you know, he promises that you will also go through suffering and persecution. Right. And but fear not, God has overcome the world. So mm-hmm. those things are the things that give me hope. And, you know, people sometimes like to think that, oh, because you're a Christian, you you won't experience suffering, right? right. You're not going to experience tragedy. And that's just, that's naive. Yeah, it's completely And naive. then when they experience that, they lose faith. And mm-hmm. so I have a, I think I, there's a little bit of stoic philosophy, I think that fits well here, is that we must have realistic expectations right. of what we're going to experience in the world and then, recognize that so you don't go into everything Pollyanna you don't accept Christ with some type of a unrealistic perspective mm-hmm. of what's going to happen to you but you just have to have a little bit more realism in what's going on and then recognize that Christ walks with you through that and mm-hmm. he sustains you through that and there are countless examples of people who have experienced extreme tragedy and God has given them grace Mm-hmm. to walk through those situations. And so that, to me, is amazing. Right. And it is a testament. It's, a, it's miraculous mm-hmm. to see people go through those things and, and, and come out on the other side. Right. Um, we don't, I don't, I'm not a fatalist that believe that God has a purpose in everything, mm-hmm. but I do believe that scripture that says, in all things, God works mm-hmm. for the good. Oh, yeah. And so that no matter what happens, that God's not the originer, 
originator of that evil, that people make bad free choices, that cancer happens, that people mm-hmm. die, but that God can work that mm-hmm. in some way for good. Right. Um, and in the midst of it, it may be very difficult to see, right? You right. don't see where the good can come out of it. But in time, you, you, God can do that. So yeah, that's just, miraculous yeah. to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and right, you're right. The, the whole the free will thing, if, if, if there was no free will, love would not be able to reign. Love would not be able to be around. So um, you need to have that free will. You can't have love when you're forced to, to, to love or forced to do something. Correct. So, um, I'm wondering what, what, what do you think the reason is people decide not to believe in God? Because you know, they know, because like you said, it, it does seem to be a, an innate, innate desire to, to connect with the transcendent and, and things like that. But there are so many people who have heard the word of God, they don't believe it. Uh, is it is it simply because of a lack of evidence for them? Is it because they don't? I mean, what? And from what I've personally seen, uh, when I talk to people about it and I ask non-believers why they don't believe in God, a lot of the times it's not about that. It's more about uh, they they grew up in in in, a, in the church or something, like, and they didn't like the people that were in the church in the church, and 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 they they had a bad experience with the faith, or or simply they the it's not for them. They they they'd rather live their life a different way. And it's as if they're totally disregarding. They, it's not re- like they really care about the truth of it. It's more the morality of Christianity doesn't fit their morality. Therefore, they don't believe it's truth. Um, and I don't know if you've seen that, but I'm, I'm curious what you think the reason is people decide not to believe in God. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on that one and just say that I think that there's multiple reasons. I don't know that you can pin it down to one thing right, yeah, other right. than the fact that we have, um, and I think the doctrine of, this, of, of, the, of the sinful nature, we are inherently wanting to be masters of mm. our own universe. Yep. And to recognize God recognizes that we're not, you know, that there is a, a, a higher power that we must submit ourselves to. Mm. And um, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people that I know that have turned that have been uh, people of faith and have turned atheists mm-hmm. have turned atheists because of people mm. <laughs> of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christians are the ones that turn people off, and when especially like if you have spiritual authorities that screw up and blow it because right. they're humans and they're going to do that. You know, and people have been invested in them and look at them as like an example of God on the earth, and then they right. see them do that or they see them treat them badly. You know, they associate that, and they said this thing is this thing is bogus. This whole thing is bogus. If that's what that guy's going to do, mm-hmm. so a lot of people have been hurt. A lot of people have been turned away from God because of Christians. Um, it's unfortunate that's the case. And then there's this idea of our own inherent selfishness that I am not going to submit myself to some other type of moral authority. Mm-hmm. And like the, the idea of Christianity is not just simply um, making a statement, I believe in Jesus. Mm. <laughs> right? that's, that's easy to say that. Mm-hmm. But what are the implications of that? You know, and mm. it says there in the scriptures, if you, you know, confess Jesus as Lord, what does that mean? Mm. Right? When you say, you, Jesus, are my Lord, 
That means you're my God. That means you're the one I worship. That has implications if you are really making a commitment to the lordship of Christ in your life. It has implications on behavior. It has implications on what you do with your money. It has implications on how you treat your family and your spouse Mm -hmm. and your friends when you don't want to do things. There's implications that go along with with making a decision for the lordship of Christ. It's not easy. Right now, the, the beauty of Christianity is that God gives us grace and that when we screw up and we fail, that we get up and we keep moving forward. Mm. Um, and we often don't know the full weight or the extent of temptation. Mm-hmm. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, uh, the people who think you know, te- you know, temptation is, is not that hard have never really tried to stand up against it. <laughs> oh, right, it's kind of like right. trying to stand up against it, you know, just trying to not do something that you know you want to do mm-hmm. and that every desire within you is doing, you know it's wrong, you know, but most of the time we cave in. And as humans, we do that. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. I don't think that we ever will be able to live in a perfect world uh, or mm-hmm. live in this world as perfect people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, There was a guy by the name of Jacques Ellul who was a French sociologist who became a Christian. He was a Marxist and ended up becoming a Christian. And mm-hmm. then you know, he, he looked at things dialectically, and this is, has been insightful for me. He would say, for example, on one hand, God, God calls you to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, be perfect as I am perfect, mm-hmm. be holy. That's what, that's what we're called to do. And then he says, on the other hand, that's impossible. Yeah, right, right. So you walk through this world trying to do something that is completely impossible, and you live within this tension. Right. You exist in the middle of it, and that's, you know, a dialectal perspective on Christianity and the world that we live in. And so it's very difficult to do that. You know, I think that's where God gives us grace, and we try our best, Mm -hmm. and we walk through as best as we can. So those things there, I think, would be reason. you know, there's a lot of reasons, but inherently it comes down to, from my perspective, who is going to be your Lord? Mm -hmm. And most of the time we want to be the own master of our mm-hmm. universe, right? And people have a hard time giving that up. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I have. I want to mm-hmm. talk about. I want to talk about success a little bit because obviously you have, um, the credentials that what what would constitute a success in the worldly eye, in the world's eyes. Um, you know, PhD, head of Christian Life School, all, all these things. Um. What what constitutes success though in, in, in for you, truthfully? What constitutes success? Is it your? Uh, you know, that, right. I, that's a great question, and that's one that I've often I I pretty much have explored on my podcast and have asked mm. people, and I think that's probably the defining question, or one of the defining questions of our humanity. If you want to get back down to it, what are we pursuing? Mm. What are we pursuing? You know, you have this vague term called success, and people will pursue whether it's financial success or some type of title or some type of position. Um, um, So I don't know that any of those things are exactly what I would say is success. And I think for me, success is finding meaning in life and mm-hmm. being able to pursue that mm-hmm. and fulfill that. Your monologue where you talked about the lack of a search for meaning mm-hmm. 
in life, I think was spot on. Mm. People, especially in America, we don't think deeply anymore about things. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that people would reflect and philosophy was important. You know, where do we come from? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Do I have a purpose? Am I fulfilling that purpose? Is there something beyond this mere existence? You know, we yeah. don't reflect on that anymore. We've been sucked into the culture, right. you know, uh, the, the structure, if you will, of our society and culture um, prevents us from thinking about those things mm-hmm. and thinking about those things deeply. Um, Blaise Pascal talked about it as distraction that, you know, it's it's terrifying for people to sit in a room by themselves without any type of distractions. And oh, because man. your mind then inevitably wa- wanders to those things, what's right. the point of life? Right. Um, uh, the philosopher uh, Camus talked to, you know, was the one who kind of originated the idea of absurdism that, and what he said was, you're, you're walking through life, so, and, and there is this pursuit of purpose and meaning. Mm. And what he said is, there is no meaning in life. Mm. Now, I don't agree with that, mm-hmm. you know, but that's what he said. And he said, you know, basically, it's, life is absurd, and somehow you've got to come to reconcile with that, you know, mm-hmm. and how do you do that? And so, um, and, it, and it goes back to the question that that one gentleman said, I don't know why I haven't killed myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And quite frankly, that was one of the, you know, one of the one of the solutions for the absurd is that you you probably should just kill yourself. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. You're never going to find anything. Mm -hmm. But I think deep down there is within all of us an idea that there should be a purpose. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we all have this idea that there should be a purpose, again, from that same C.S. Lewis, Mm -hmm. that we must be created for something if we find those desires residing within us. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, success is, is finding meaning in life and mm-hmm. finding fulfillment and finding purpose and then pursuing that in whatever way that is. So, you know, it's not necessarily about making a certain uh, money, you know, making mm-hmm. a certain salary or achieving some type of position um, or, you know, but, but it is about your relationships it's about the people that you care about. It's about finding meaning in life, finding a purpose, and then pursuing that. And that is where I would say my faith has made the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. It's because my faith has given me meaning in life. Right. My faith has given me purpose. And I don't think that I'm just here as some kind of piece of carbon that's just mm-hmm. kind of got thrown together by the universe, but mm-hmm. that I was created uh, by a God who cares about me and who loves me and who gave his life for me and who wants me to be his own and who loves me. And though that gives me meaning in life, that gives me purpose, that gives me something to say, this whole thing that we're doing here is not just meaningless. It's not just absurd. Mm. Right. And, and, and so that, that that's a choice I make. Mm-hmm. Right. There's mm-hmm. no there's no definitive proof like we talked right. about. That's a leap of faith, and yeah. that is the way that we encounter the divine. Mm. We encounter God through faith. So mm-hmm. that, that's to me what success is all about. Um, I think, you know, different people have different perspectives on mm-hmm. that. 
And I've talked to a lot of people about that, and a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on that. So, yeah. But for me, that's kind of like what it's come down to. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I like that that quote from Pascal because, uh, you know, he lived in the six like the 1600s. Uh, mm-hmm. We live now. It's so, it's so true. If you if you saw somebody at an Olive Garden and say their their date went to the bathroom and they didn't pull out their phone to keep their right. mind occupied, you would think that they're psychotic. <laughs> you know, like like you would right. you, you would. It's so normal to to keep our minds occupied at all times when we're alone. Uh, at phones, like my my uh, even me, my my phone, my weekly review or whatever of my phone activity was five hours a day. I mean, it's oh just boy. it's not good. That's not good. My, I hope my mom and dad don't hear this, but um, right. you know, it's it's we have to keep our minds occupied. That's an interesting, and I wonder if it is because it, our mind starts to go to those deep, sometimes dark places. That's interesting. Um, yeah, the idea of distraction is in, 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 interesting. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, when he he was talking about that when they didn't have phones. Yeah. But they still had things like the you know the symphony and the orchestra right, right. and the theater and those things people would do still even back then that they would distract themselves. They had books, you know, they would read books and they would occupy themselves mm-hmm. with things in their life so that they didn't have to encounter those deeper thoughts mm-hmm. um and i think that it's in those deeper thoughts that's where we can hear god calling out to us mm-hmm. um and we miss him a lot because we're not in those positions mm-hmm. and i think that's where you have like these um the the, the ancient christians who would have these spiritual disciplines and practices of solitude and silence mm-hmm. and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would often wonder, why are those guys so spiritual? You know, mm-hmm. man, how in the world did they encounter God? And, well, they they did, they had a disciplinary practice that put them in a position whereby they could encounter those the deep. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible talks about the deep. Uh, that deep calls out to deep, you know, mm-hmm. and that God is in the deep and in the nostalgia and in those things, that's where we encounter him. But we don't give ourselves opportunity to do that because we we're occupied habitually, you know, and our, again, I think our uh, technological culture has contributed in a greater way to that than anything prior to what we've experienced now. So it's even harder now to get into those positions and to put yourself in those uh, spots to really encounter God in a, in a in an incredible way. Is that what is that kind of what God's saying? In, in when He says, "Be still and know that I'm," you know, in a modern sense, is it get off your phone, For sure. you know, think a little bit, you know, meditate a little bit, right. pray, be still, know that I'm God. That's kind of in yeah, a modern sense. exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and what, let's be honest with ourselves: how often do we take time to do that? Right, right. And if we do, we think we did good when we got done with 30 seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> before bed, before a meal, maybe. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's not, uh, it's more than that. Right. Yeah. Man. Um, how long have we been? Is it an hour? Oh. Um, yeah, usually these go for an hour, and it's, uh, that was, I thought that was a lot of good insight right there, man. Wow. Um, well, it's been great talking to you, Vinny. Yeah. Thanks. The time has flown by. I didn't it think it was an hour, by. but. Yeah, it has flown by completely. I really appreciate you got a gift card coming your way. I appreciate oh, you big time. Not this a problem is, at all. I um, appreciate the opportunity to be on. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff. You know, yeah. it's just interesting to me and I enjoyed it. 
Yeah. Um, and then I, I forgot about the the Twitter. Your Twitter is pretty active. Uh, it looks like at, correct. It's, it's at Jeff Bogazic. So that's J E F F B O G A C Z Y K. So look that up. He's at good. Jeff Bogazic. Yeah, yep. that's my Twitter. Um, I usually share personal development resources on there. Again, my website is mindforlife.org. Um, I have a resource on there. It's a, a self-assessment of an article I wrote on the 52 essential skills for success in business and in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are what people have typically called the soft skills, but I think are skills that are incredibly important. They have to do with things like productivity, uh, emotional intelligence, motivation, and you can get, get the assessment for free. It's a download. It's available uh, right on my website and take the assessment. I have a Facebook group called the Essential Skills, uh, Mind for Life Essential Skills group, where I just put articles up, and you can join that as well right through awesome. my website. So th- there's a bunch of resources I have that I'm just trying to help people to become better versions of themselves. Yeah. That's important to me. Uh, to invest in people, that's important to me. And um, if people want to reach out and grab some of that, that's wonderful. Awesome. Cool. I appreciate you again coming on, Jeff. Hopefully see you at church. All right, Vinny. Yeah, thank you very much. You have a good one. You're welcome. You too. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm, bye. Are we, are we still on, Nathan? Okay. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Um, and uh, I hope this added some value to you guys. Um kind of want to go get some food now let's go get some food Nathan all right see you guys have a good one